0: So welcome to the Do More Good Podcast, Season Three.
1: All good things coming through, don't they, Kenny? Course to do three musketeers. Little pigs, triangles, your degree? <laughs> we should probably know what we're doing by now, right? you would think so.
2: There are times you have to step away from that and do the bigger, scarier, crunchier, harder work. Because it pays off in the end.
3: Making sure that the senior people from that organisation
0: get involved with the partnership.
2: It's not scary. The worst thing that can happen is that someone can go, bloody hell, that was a bit of a cock up.
0: Do I've had a few folk not from Scotland that have said to me, I didn't know you could do that with bagpipes?
2: <laughs> I think the, the message is do more good. Yeah!
0: Here we are, James. Episode number thirty-seven of the Do More Good podcast. How are you doing?
1: I'm well. We're thirty-seven. I know. We're getting on now. We are getting on,
0: aren't we? We are getting on. Thirty-seven is a bloody good achievement, though, my friend. Oh,
1: we've been. We've that's thirty-seven hours we've spent together. Uh, yeah,
0: I know. That's a bit yeah. worrying. We yeah. should be, uh, but we're in a nice location today. Yeah. We just set up for our guests today. But what, what's been going on? What, what we're we talking in? of uh, talking of
1: milestones. Uh, my daughter turned five last week, so we had a big party in the, in the house, we had about 50 people round to our what house. 50? There was a lot of cake, there were was, was sugary drinks. What was there? Um, but I've got to say, the the, be- the worst behaviour did not come from the five-year-olds. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, my friend, it was the adults. <laughs> we had a really? few bottles going round. Oh We had gosh. a sort of water park, if you like, in the garden. Okay. So like paddling pools, nice. slides, kind of slip slide things all mm. the way down, mm. and obviously few of us thought it would be a good idea to give it a go. We, d- we don't bounce like the kids. And yeah. you, you, didn't bruises.
0: Th- you didn't play that game, did you, with the with the, the cereal box? Have you
1: played the cereal box game? I've not played this. No?
0: Was oh, you've got a next next family party. Just clear all the kids out of the way. Yeah. Get a bit of a room, a bit of space. Get a cereal box out the cupboard. Pour out the last of your sugar puffs. Then cut the top off. And then what you do is everyone has to bend over and pick it up <laughs> with their teeth. And then after everyone's been round, <laughs> I don't know why I'm telling this story, <laughs> after everyone's been round, you cut another inch off it and it carries oh, on and it carries on and it I carries on. Dreadful. You get split trousers, you get, you Serious know, da- injuries. dads with pulled <laughs> hamstrings, <laughs> yeah. you get mums that think they're ballerinas and, you know, it's, yeah, good fun, good party but game. But it there.
1: can't hurt more than falling over in front of your kid's parents in the the garden of your house and landing in a a slide yeah so we're kind of
0: we're almost wrapping up this season aren't we we're 37 this is nearly getting close to the end now we just wanted to acknowledge everybody who's sent us messages sent us emails uh the the guests we've had the occasional tweet um you know our instagram page all of that just like thank you to everyone who's who's given us the feedback it 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 really it, it makes it worthwhile and and as we've s- talked about before, we kind of set this up you know, with no real ambition or objective. It was just to have fun, meet great people, and hopefully share some, some interesting Yeah, facts. we've done that.
1: I hope, I hope uh, our listeners have too.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I think we have, and I think that's it. So, yeah. So, why don't we crack on with this week's show? Sounds good to me. Well, Kenneth, the first of this week's
1: guests started his career in the Family Planning Association before securing his first CEO role with Brooke, the sexual health, counselling, and support services charity, in June 2011. With a number of trustee roles and an active role in a variety of causes, he then went on to join the National Union of Students as CEO in May 2015. As Deputy Chair of Stonewall and Fellowships with the RSA and others, he is now the CEO of Mental Health First Aid England, with a strong vision to improve the mental health of the nation. In 2011, he was awarded an OBE for his services to the voluntary sector.
0: We'd like to welcome Simon Blake to the Do More Good podcast. Thank you. Nice to have you see you, Simon. Thank you for coming along. Actually, we come to you, didn't we? <laughs> and our second guest, we're not only joined by Simon and OBE, we've also got our second guest is here. She started her career in the third sector with London Youth in 2005, developing and working on leadership programmes for young people. And then after working her way up through the organisation, she became CEO in March 2012. And so in 2012 the organisation was supporting 400 youth clubs serving around 75,000 young people across London. And after travelling after having a travelling adventure she returned to her role in the charity sector to take on the role of CEO of the charity Gingerbread who supports single parent families to live secure, happy and fulfilling lives. Our guest is also the chair of ACEVO, the network supporting charity leaders to make the biggest possible difference, and her new full-time role, which we understand she hasn't actually quite started, is in this wonderful location that we are, as CEO at House of St Barnabas, which for those of you that aren't aware, is a non-profit private members club in Soho that works to break the cycle of homelessness, and we're really pleased to have Rosie Ferguson here. Welcome.
2: Thank you. It's Nice to be here.
1: So, I'll tell you what, it's nice to be here. This is the first time we've recorded from a private members club, Kenneth.
0: We're going up in the world. Welcome. We are. (laughs) It's very lovely, isn't it, as well, when you walk in along and you see the the big charity sign. on. What's the history behind the sign outside?
2: The house of charity. So, I haven't started yet, so it's acceptable for me to get my facts (laughs) right. But in around 1860, the house was given to a charity by a family Mm -hmm. and it became initially a hostel for kind of destitute and homeless people and it was that for 150 years. Um, It has a real history so the Basil Jet designed the sewer system in this building. Mm-hmm. Charles Dickens wrote *A Tale of Two Cities* in the garden. Uh, so it's quite an amazing building in terms of history, and it's been a, a social purpose building. It's the only Grade One listed building in Soho. It's been a social purpose like throughout its life, um, and then for the last five years, it's been a social purpose private members' club. Well, wow.
1: now they can add the "Do More Good" podcasts to <laughs> that. <laughs> <it>? <laughs> the Loomerage great to come through the door. Wow. Uh-huh. The great creative,
0: Dickens. creative that it is. Okay, so. Thank you both for joining us. We really do appreciate it. It's great to have two charity leaders join us to, to really kind of share your experience with our listeners. So I'd just like to start with you, Rosie. Would you mind briefly talking us through your career and what led you to kind of leading several charities as CEO?
2: Sure. I always think it's funny when people ask, like, what uh, What did you, when did you kind of decide to become? For me, it was, never, it was never like a choice to move into the kind of social sector. I just never really understood why anybody would do anything else. It was like just, I think, from quite... A, a young age I had like a deep sense of kind of passion for justice and for giving people opportunities I had an instinct to kind of take responsibility and to lead and then a kind of a love of like teams and games and building community so I think I was I've been really lucky I think in that like I've been able to be myself and opportunities have opened up for me and kind of supported by really good bosses who've kind of given me that who've recognized my skills and given me the space i've had the opportunity to progress so i think that's so starting out in youth work with london youth and then progressing kind of through different roles there and always feeling like the sector has given me the space to develop and grow and really deliver on kind of those three things that are still the things probably that motivate me the most
0: Was there one person in particular in your career, you just touched on there, like in terms of boss or or leader, that kind of really give you that that inspiration to think that you could go on and achieve what you wanted uh, to?
2: Yeah, I would like shout out Nick Wilkie, now Chief Exec of NCT, who was my, um, who came in as Chief Exec when I was a kind of junior member staff at London Youth, but he would also want me to quote my youth worker, Sally Abbott, who ran the youth theatre that I was in when I was kind of from 11 to 19, and I think those formative experiences outside of school for young people to gain kind of confidence, and I ended up chairing the youth theatre when I was about 15, and kind of, you know, when people give you responsibility before you're ready for it, I think that's how people learn and Mm. grow.
0: What about yourself, Simon? How How did you end up being sat here as the CEO of Mental Health First Aid? Well, Mm -hmm. I
3: had none of the foresight, wisdom or ambition (laughs) for social justice (laughs) that Rosie did. I wanted to be a show jumper and didn't have enough money. I wanted to be (laughs) a firefighter, but probably wasn't tall enough and brave enough. And uh, I was supposed to be an educational psychologist, but I didn't ever go back after a gap year and fell into (laughs) sex education in South Wales, but equally could have ended up being a pharmaceutical salesperson, which was the other sort of job that I was applying for at the time. However, having arrived at the Family Planning Association and very quickly getting that sense around sexual rights, reproductive rights, there was a slotting in and a sense that actually this does connect with my values and my beliefs and what I want to do. So very quickly, the third sector felt like home, but it definitely, oh, I also wanted to be a vet, but I wasn't clever enough. You wanted to be a doctor, didn't you? I wanted to be a doctor. Yeah, previously. but I d- the same, yeah. yeah,
0: certainly not clever enough.
3: So, you know, and if I could um, uh, live my parallel life, I'd still want to be a show jumper now, but actually I'm really (laughs) pleased to be in the social sector doing the work we do. It's still time, Simon. It's still time. I know, I know, just not enough money.
0: (laughs) That's great, So you, so you and you've held a variety of, of CEO roles, so you were at the National Union of Students for uh, Wahang were, were you there for? So I was there for three years, and
3: I okay. actually realised I didn't check the introduction, I was at Brook for almost nine and a half years, ah, because okay. um, I went in as the chief exec of the central office, which was the licensing body, and then became chief exec once we'd led a, a series of mergers in 2011. So I was in sexual health for 21 years, uh, before I then went to National Union of Students for three years, and then back into sort of the health domain almost a year ago.
0: What was that change like at that point, going from sexual health for obviously a number of years and then into the National Union students? I can imagine there might have been a bit of a cultural difference there, was there, or was it? There's cultural difference. So there's
3: also, being a chief exec, there are all sorts of things which which add to your leadership, and one of them is being an expert. So Mm. suddenly, um, not being an expert was certainly an issue. And also, of course, it's a bit like b- chief exec of NUS is a bit like being um, in the civil servant. You're mm. working to your elected leaders and uh, at a very particular point in history in terms of what's happening with higher education around marketization, the implementation of tuition fees, and then what's going on in the wider political world as well. So, yeah, enormous amounts of learning whilst there, but certainly very different after being so so familiar with sexual health and the health sector and the health system to go into an entirely new world um, was, yeah, culture shock. Now, I imagine the, the, the sexual health stuff was quite useful with the students as well. But um, you were firmly thrown in at
1: the deep end there then. was a p- period of time, kind of politically and socially, where everything changed for them. Well,
3: yeah, ev- I mean, everything was, was changing. When was it? Twenty, 2015. So if you think you'd heard you know the introduction and rise of of tuition fees you had had you know the coalition government and then yeah. uh, the tory government you'd had uh, continual cuts on further education yeah so yeah rightly you had a, a student body and movement that wanted a very different version of the education system a free education system still haven't got it but th- th- <laughs> yeah that desire <laughs> still sits
0: so, I've got to ask you now. Um, we we know that quite a lot of our listeners are relatively young in their careers in the uh, in the in the not for profit sector or the charity sector. Go to you first, Rosie. Thinking back, like what were one of those lessons that you learned that you think kind of still sticks with you today that can probably help. If someone else is sitting there as a I don't know a twenty-one-year-old something start their first entry-level job a into frustrated a frustrated show jumper, <laughs> maybe to a frustrated to finally get into charity. Exactly. Uh, yeah. Maybe them. What kind of is there anything that you can think back from your experience that you think would be relevant to them?
2: One thing that actually really stands is just work hard and be nice to people. I think that's a quote that is heard often, but actually it's underestimated. I think completely agree. Um, I think coming into the workplace, mm. working hard being positive and mm. building good relationships with your peers and the people at all levels goes a long way <laughs> in mm. terms of being. I think also when things are really crap, mm. this too will pass. It's mm. always quite helpful to remember as well that like mm. things for, for for all your endeavors, there will be really challenging times and mm. to forgive yourself for those and recognize that you'll you'll reach a kind of brighter day. Yeah, and I, lo- I, I love the flip side of that as well. That it, as
1: good as things are, that might not last. So enjoy the good times as yeah. well. And when everything is <laughs> going smoothly, remember that you know you may be on your way up at yeah. the moment. But yeah, yeah, that's a good thing. So what think. about yourself,
0: Simon? Is there anything that you kind of learn in terms of lessons? And obviously, you can you can steal that one if you like. But yeah. put you on the spot a little bit. Is there anything that kind of sticks in your I mean mind? I think the kindness is power is definitely something that yeah, we yeah. should
3: uh, uh, remember at the moment, or perhaps more more than ever. But my boss at the National Children's Bureau, Jill Francis, was really like, take every opportunity that there is, and make sure that whenever you're recruiting people, make sure they're better than you, and (laughs) make sure that they um, have got different skills than you, never recruit in your own mould, and I think that sort of sense as you're going into your early career, your first management, the first opportunities to recruit people, it's very easy to think that you need more people like you, but actually people... Who are, who are not like you, I think is a really important part of that. I guess the other thing which don't think anybody ever told me, but I wish they had, is that some of the s- core skills which you would get trained in when you first go into jobs in the corporate sector, you know, really good project management, really good budget management, you may or may not get that training as part of your induction and early years in the charity sector. And mm. actually, if you're not getting them, um, ask for them if it's not possible within your work context make sure you get them because it will save you a lot of pain later when you've got some of those technical <coughs> skills which just help you to get work done and and unfortunately sometimes there isn't a career path which is set for you in this in the social sector so work out what you want to do, work out what the steps are and and if your organisation can support you, great. But there are lots of free courses, online courses, cheap courses which you can do yourself as well. Yeah,
1: Yeah, It does feel like it's a little (coughs) less structured around careers within the third sector but there is tons of stuff out there so it, we, we should be better at that shouldn't we about pushing people to go to all of those well, i think is when
0: when you think back to our early career and mm. i can think we're all a little bit more mature and if you don't mind me saying so um <laughs> you know you couldn't go online and you couldn't find a course on project management or mm. you couldn't find how to kind of put a budget together so now it is out there it is accessible but it's it just needs that person to kind of get on and get after the it first job i, I didn't do have it. an email
3: Really, yeah. wow! <laughs>
0: wow, that shows that showing yeah. your age there, Simon. I'm, I'm not so that sorry old. To just for the record, I <laughs> <laughs> just to po- point that out. Um, uh, we wanted to get into like a bit of a, a topic today. So we were kindly introduced to, to you both by by Matt Collins from from Platypus Digital, and who's also worked on the Social CEO Awards, which I think, Simon, you've been involved with and have chaired the panel of judges. Is that correct? That's absolutely right. For I think this is the seventh year that we've the done seventh it. Seventh year. So yeah, I didn't even realise it had been going going that long. But as a a kind of starting point before we get into maybe some of the deeper discussion regarding social media and its kind of impact potentially on on mental health, can you talk us through your own experiences with social media? What does social media mean to you both and how do you use it today? I mean, actually, I use Facebook in order
3: to upload photos in order that I've got a memory in five years' time. (laughs) Yeah, that's that's, a good one. That's the basic reason that I use Facebook now and so that my parents know what I'm doing if I haven't spoken to them for a while so that they know that I'm safe. <laughs> um, and then Instagram, got two accounts. One is a personal account, which is mostly horses and, and dogs and running, but also then a MHFA or chief exec account, which I had when I was at NUS, which actually came out from social CEOs, where it was, are there more creative ways that we might need to use social media? So how, d- how do you tell a story in pictures? And then LinkedIn, blogging, I guess is you know, all just... Yeah, we don't necessarily think about it as multi-channel. Yeah, multi-channel. So mm. we use it a lot, and the, and the, and MHFA England uses a lot. And sometimes it's very personal. Sometimes I'm just retweeting because you've got a different reach into yeah. the audience. I think mm. Twitter's a really interesting one because it's a proper mashup between personal and professional life, yeah. and I feel quite comfortable. It's a bit like going to a party. You see people, and you might talk about work, or you might talk about dog or you might talk about your partner or where you've been on holiday so that definitely feels a bit more
0: and are you uh, are you an avid user are you i mean if uh, what does your i if um, i'm guessing you've got an iphone and you get that report through at the end of the week and it says your screen time how much a a day are we talking about in terms of your consumption do you think so (laughs) this sounds like it's going to be a confession (laughs) well
3: (laughs) so i was about six hours a day but going mm. down to... And uh, my aim is to get down to three hours a day and probably about four hours a day. But okay. that's not all social media. I actually of do course. quite a lot of email, um, email yeah. mm. um, stuff on there. Mm. Social media is definitely a multitasking thing for me. If I'm walking to the bus stop, I'm mm. likely to bump into you because I'll be doing something. Yeah, mm. and lots of near misses, crossing roads and all of that sort of stuff. It's not something that I sit at a computer and do. It's Indeed. definitely something for on the move.
0: Mm. And if you... and have you had any negative experiences on social media
3: so i guess well yeah so when i was at brook you got a lot of people who are anti-abortion in particular Mm. and anti-lgbt rights i'm obviously deputy chair of stonewall so you sometimes get and particularly in relation to people who are anti-trans rights um, and sometimes people just are not particularly nice in the way that they talk to you but i'm it doesn't bother me, doesn't it? Uh, okay. Yeah. If if it does, then I just, you know, using that metaphor of a party, then you just turn and walk away. And I do think, yeah, sometimes we can think that we can't do that, and mm. we really can. Mm.
1: Rosie, how about you? MySpace, Bebo, Friends United, <laughs> <laughs> all over it, uh, all of that. Too young for that. Uh, <laughs> 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 I'm
2: definitely less of an avid user than Simon, I would say. But like, my um, I use Facebook and Twitter. That's about it. Facebook for me is like my improv so I as we were saying before I do comedy improv and I would come off for facebook if it wasn't for the fact that that's where all improv is organized really? so um, and promoted so that's quite exciting and twitter for me is is work and I am res- I'm not like a massively boundary person in in my personality in terms of my work self and my personal life but I do feel I have have Twitter on my work phone, I have Facebook on my personal phone. I'm quite separate, and if I'm on holiday, I will not check Twitter, but Mm. I might check Facebook. So I try to be quite boundary with that, and I think Twitter's really useful for me in terms of communicating with stakeholders in the sector, particularly, I think, with my chair of Akivo role. I'm aware that that comes with, similar to your non-exec roles, it comes with a leadership responsibility, that there are some things that, that... uh you want to have a you want to have a voice on or you want to be seen to support or mm. to to endorse um so i kind of use it more symbolically for that than mm. necessarily You audio. don't strike me
1: as the kind of person that talks about work at parties though so that uh, you the, the analogy there about twitter yeah. being a yeah yeah i f- use I, it more I, for um, that?
2: I don't f- it doesn't, uh, I think maybe just the people that follow me are people who I know through work. So yeah, it's not yeah. necessarily work, I would say <laughs> social change, which is mm. slightly broader than work. So, that's, it's not just about, so it's not just about the day job, but yeah. it's about things related to impact and social change and politics and things that I'm yeah. passionate about. Well, that's the interesting um, thing
1: about social media as a whole, isn't it? And particularly maybe Twitter, is that it gives a more rounded view of you as a person that is in that. Role, yeah. You know, it's the it's the skill to really doing it well is to come across like a wonderful person, that yeah, and to have an incredible job as yeah. well. <laughs> I'm yet to get either of those, uh. <laughs> either of those things right. But no,
0: that's it. But I mean, of course, I think I guess one of the points around social media is that it does a lot of good, and 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 I guess the social CEO awards are uh, shining a light on those that are doing it well. Simon, from your experience of being in those awards how have you seen social media really helping a leader uh, of an organization or or someone in a a senior role helping their cause and really taking it to that next level? Because I know, sorry, Rose, just to refer to what you were saying, you know, you can retweet things, you can engage with stakeholders, but have you seen anyone who's really used it to have significant impact? So
3: I think the most important thing when we're talking about social media is to think about all channels that we have control of Uh, and uh, and it's so easy and and certainly social CEOs sometimes falls into people who use Twitter well Mm. and so that whole bit about LinkedIn blogging, people using video content, people then using Twitter as a place to amplify what they've said rather than just what they say in their 280 uh, characters I think is really important and uh, people use it for all sorts of reasons for people who work across dispersed sites it can be a way to connect in with with staff you know as a way of, of communicating out it can be a way of ensuring that people with lived experience are able to have their stories heard you people using it for fundraising people to demonstrate their commitment to a particular issue and, and, and cause and you know where you've got yeah, you know, when I first started doing at, at Brook in 2006, and I was talking about doing a blog, there was a real concern that you know, d- blogging about controversial issues would attract a negative attention rather than positive attention. But actually, it's also a way that you've got complete editorial control. You can say what you want, how you want to, in 200 words or 400 words or a thousand. And so there are lots and lots of chief execs who who reflect. Uh, their organisation and the scope of their role really, really well. You know, Polly Neat at Shelter, I think, is communicating you know, brilliantly around social housing. Deborah Alcina, when she was at Bowel cancer, communicating really, really well about a range of issues which, as Rose says, when you are not necessarily, it's not necessarily part of your lived experience, it's not necessarily part of your day job, but there is a reaching out and a widening of issues and causes and general understanding around social change and sometimes real galvanizing behind causes that may not previously have got attention the charity was so white um hashtag that was going last week you know that numerous people at various times have tried to build consciousness around race and and ethnicity in the sector and last week week before it happened yeah yeah, yeah. Know, which is brilliant For the first
0: time you uh, in my experience i'm sure in all of our experience we've seen it at yeah. uh, that coverage and so that's what it can do. It can give people that platform to actually put something out there and, and, qu- and quickly get a following, quickly have a start a conversation, and then before you know it, it's a... Well,
1: I guess it's a little bit like your improv comedy, really. It builds a community quite quickly, doesn't it? And you say that's where it all is, that's where it's happening. Absolutely,
2: but and the um, actually coming from Gingerbread Network of Single Parents, people who have um, parents who are massively passionate feel quite marginalised society, society don't find it that easy to get out because they're at home with their kids, but have loads of time on their phone. And for them, social media is a really powerful so, um, and group of so single parents set up the We Are The One In Four campaign, which is about promoting the fact that one in four parent families is headed by a single parent, and yet services and systems just aren't designed for that. Um, well, it was following one woman being turned away from a cinema. She asked for a family ticket, and they said, "Sorry, you're not a family." And uh, so that, and actually, parents get real solidarity from using social media and using a simple hashtag to really find out that when they're sitting sitting at home, exhausted, having put their kids to bed, there's you know yeah. millions of other people around the country in exactly the same situation, and that can be that in itself is is really powerful.
0: That's the for for me, that's the biggest benefit biggest benefit 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 that the o- the internet has bought right the fact mm. that you can connect with other people that might be in a similar situation to you and at the moment when there's a lot going on and a lot of discussion around the negatives of social media I think mm. I can still hold on to that that at the moment it still allows people to connect with others yeah. who have a shared value shared concern issue whatever it may be however I guess I'd like to Get your view on on the negative side because there is a, a negative t- side to social media and to internet usage generally, and we're hearing a lot more about that. And uh, I suppose, particularly in both of your your new role to come, uh, working for a homelessness charity, or uh, and Simon at Mental Health First Aid England, what do you think that we need to do to be to consider the impact of social media? What what can we do as a society? How should we be handling this this new thing that's in our hand, that's in our children's hand? Is there any thoughts you've had around what we can do there? I mean, it's like
3: everything, isn't it? It's fairly new. It's something that we're trying to get used to. Email could be a really useful tool. Actually, for lots of us, it takes up an enormous amount of time. It's uh, abiding by other people's agendas and what they want you to take notice of rather (laughs) than what is on your list of things to do in the morning. And we're... Certainly in some of the conversations happening, people talking about you doing the five-sentence challenge, talking about turning off emails at particular times. They were starting to say, actually, it was something which came and brought enormous benefit. It's probably gone too far in lots of things. We stopped talking to each other on the phone and various things. And how do we go full circle back round to make it work for us? I think social media is, you know, it clearly is a force for social good but it's also a place where people behave really bloody badly sometimes you know, there's a very grotty you know racism sexism misogyny homophobia transphobia yeah and all of all of that and i guess you yeah, know we have to try and shift that culture but in the same way that deep rooted change which which challenges structural yeah, inequalities is going to take a very long time we're not going to solve social media overnight. So there's something about how you use social media as individuals and how we make it work for us. And yeah, lots of people worry a lot about children and, and young people. And I think children and young people are discerning and we just have to make sure we're having the conversations with them. And to enable them to understand what's happening and that there are not, you know, just turn it off because we recognise that things, you know, go into the bedroom and into the lounge that didn't before. It's not as simple as just turn it off, but Mm. know and understand what's happening. Know that nothing is too big or small to talk about. Know where you can get help and advice and amplify the good. Mm. You know, I think that's the the really important bit that we amplify the kindness, amplify the positives, amplify the benefits. Well, that's an
1: interesting point. Do you think it's got... Worse, or do you think we just talk about the negatives more? Is there more of a spotlight on the negatives, or has that always been there and we just haven't highlighted it before? Or are people behaving
3: worse and kind of egged on by each other? I don't know. Just that's a PhD or two, isn't mm-hmm. it? Yeah. I think. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, I, I guess I- inevitably there is more of it because more people are using more platforms. Yeah, and so whether it's proportionately more, yeah, we know that there is some poor. Really poor behaviour, and that that gets the you know, the evidence and the highlight. And we know that we've got people like our uh, yeah, president of the United States who use it in particular well, way, a p- which is changing the rules. Yes yeah. and, and
1: we well. become more. It feels like we've become more polarised in this country, in the states maybe that's leading to people having more feeling more comfortable about having extreme views maybe i don't know Again, <laughs> i mean like i think that it's a phd subject <laughs> i think f- i think
0: for me just, just listening it. to my experience and, and and just reading a few things and i think the social media companies themselves have to take a, a look at themselves and actually have more responsibility for what is being delivered on their platform what are they doing to police them but it it is <laughs> something as you say that we're that's here to stay i don't think it's going anywhere and You know, we need to to educate uh, our children and and everyone just actually that it is sometimes it's acceptable. You can put it away and it's not going to be there all of the time.
2: Yeah, I think from a leadership kind of social sector leadership point of view, I don't think anyone... Has to be on social media, so maybe Matt might find that view controversial. But I can <laughs> see how I can see how it's one tool that people can use. But it's the kind of thing that that might work for some people and not for others. And I think people lead. What's really important in leadership is that people lead authentically, and some people can lead authentically using social media, and that can really, some you know, Simon, that really magnifies his impact and his relationships with his teams, his relationship, his stakeholders, and that's brilliant. I know other chief execs who are equally brilliant who hate the idea of having to think of something to write in 240 or how many characters it is so i think it's not a must it's, it's one tool that leaders have in their in their in their and it it is also a tool that can invite isn't the wrong word because that sounds positive that confrontation can come from it and some people may feel more or less able to able and willing to interact with that confrontation and i think that's a choice and i think no one no one should feel like they have to be on social media in order to be good at their job or to be or to be present or to be a good change maker it's a tool that works for some people and, yeah. and not for I others think As
1: you mentioned earlier there were a few names that you dropped in there about people that are really strong presumably those people are also lovely in real life it's not <laughs> just that they're really yeah. brilliant at social media they it's quite difficult to fake that twenty four seven. Yeah, you could probably. I mean, I get away with a couple of good ones that get three or four likes. So I'm quite happy <laughs> about that, but I can't do it all the time.
3: I mean, I think it is like everything, isn't it? And I do. I completely agree with Rosie. It isn't a superpower. It isn't the panacea for everything. It is a tool which you have. Yeah, I don't particularly like going to evening. Um, Events because I think if it's really important, it should be able to be done in the daytime. So I don't go to a huge amount of evening events. I don't think it's causing huge problems. Yeah, There are other people who don't like speaking at public conferences and things. And so chief execs have to find their own way through using the full amount of tools that are available to them. You get some chief execs who are very public-facing, some who are very internal facing it's how do you play to your strengths and your skills using those tools which are available but i think it is really important to acknowledge that women people of color people from lesbian gay bisexual trans uh, gender um, backgrounds and people with disabilities get disproportionate uh, abuse on social media Mm -hmm. in the Mm -hmm. same way as in real life and experience yeah prejudices in the same way and actually if people want to protect themselves by not using it that's as valid as saying this is a tool for me to challenge those inequalities. Mm. And I think we, we probably just have to get more nuanced in the debate and discussion about what it can do and what it can't mm. do and
0: what, it, what yeah, there are other ways to compensate. Do you encourage, so I'm just thinking about your role as CEO of Mental uh. Hel- Health First Aid England, do you encourage your, your trainers, your staff members to, to use social media to, to share updates, to share what they're doing? We have a very strong corporate
3: Uh, social um, media platform and a a, a strategy which is attached to using it we it hasn't ever been a conversation which has has particularly come up about whether people use it or not there are some people who do and some people who don't it does it 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 just doesn't come up as part there is no expectation you do it as part of the job yeah if people do it for personal personal uh, lives and want to use it for the professional they can that's fine.
0: Yeah, because I guess there's a lot about you know social media policies within organisations and what you can and can't do, and about who actually owns the inventory. Is it yourself or is it your employer? Or if you're tweeting, so I was just interested. What about you, Rosie? Have you uh, social media has kind of encouraged your staff to use it, yeah. and is it just or is it just been if you want to use it, you can. If you want to talk about work, you can. It's it's up to you as an individual.
2: Yeah, I think I mean there are certain roles where people that generally people that work in policy and communications where people are want to be more vocal yes, and course. want to be communications advocates. The, yeah. I think what sometimes, um, what I think Gingerbread do really well is get the voices of beneficiaries out on the social mm-hmm. media channel and mm-hmm. a lot of the the blogs and the communication and the Twitter feeds there's a number of kind of very regular social media users who associate themselves with, and that and that is fantastic and that's a kind of really key way to do it. I think with staff, again, you wouldn't. I would never uh, I would never expect somebody to use a personal social media account as part of their job as Simon said and I think people need to to use individual choice and personality, yeah. and if if it's if actually it feels like someone's being forced to do it, doesn't feel authentic. They're probably not no. going to be the best person <laughs> to follow. Like well, kind of kind of following on from that a little bit.
1: I'm a, I'm a massive suck up in the office, right? So I, it, it's really useful for me when when senior leaders in the organisation are tweeting about TV shows that they're watching because then I can quickly i it, watch it, and then drop that into conversation in the kitchen <laughs> the next day. <laughs> but as uh, maybe senior members of staff, if they're giving opinions on things. Do you feel like there's pr- there can be pressure on more junior members of staff to agree with the opinions that leaders have for, for other people in the organisation to know what senior people's opinions are and to align with those? Is there kind of a subtle pressure to push people towards bake-off? Like, is there a th- you know, you're forcing everyone in the organisation to, to catch up on who's been voted off, but maybe more serious than that around <laughs> opinions on policies? Or? Yeah,
2: I... Do you mean, not feel that? Do you not say that we do, you would is, never expect someone to do that? Social media is one way that we influence, right? And I think as leaders we have a responsibility all the time, like when we're in the office, when we're speaking at events, when we're like offhand in the pub, the things that you say are a responsibility. We're also just human beings. So yep. sometimes so you, you you both have to balance having the responsibility for the fact that you are visible and a leader and people will be looking to you for guidance, but also that like Every now and then you're probably just going to say something like a bit silly. Yeah. And <laughs> With a typo. Look. You love a typo And from you need the permission <laughs> to, to be that as yeah. well. To yeah. show a bit of vulnerability. I am only human. Exactly. Obviously, it reaches a wider audience, although not always. Some of these tweets might reach three people and you make a speech which reaches <laughs> 300. So <laughs> I think, you know, it, it's the same principle. I don't know what you think.
3: It's never been something which you've come across, although we did have some conversations
1: are you now thinking about the conversations you've had in the kitchen about Bake Off? Well, yeah, l- oh. luckily
3: I don't have many opinions about many TV <laughs> programmes. So, <laughs> But uh, we did have conversations at Brook about whether it was okay to have different opinions. And this was sort of much earlier on in sort of social media's development. You know, is it okay for the chief exec to put a slightly different spin on something or a slight nuanced focus on something than the corporate press release? And what happens if somebody else disagrees and i do think we have to be careful so whatever personal views are on brexit actually if people believe that their view isn't valid within the organization you know, then there are risks and dangers. Mm-hmm. so I, I do know that there are things but that's not social media as much as vocal views on things which either people feel as though their view then becomes invalid and problem not invalid problematic Yeah, so Mm. I do think we have the responsibility to think about wider social issues and make sure that your teams who may have different views on things don't think there is only one way to have a view in your organization. Although there will also be things that align with your values, which is really fine, I think, to be clear about.
2: Also, I had on my Twitter feed for ages that I was a big EastEnders fan and haven't missed an episode <laughs> in like 15 years. And no one has ever tried to suck up to me by talking to me about EastEnders. So I would really was encourage anyone who ever, for any reason, wants me to buy them a drink or suck up to me in any way, come and talk to me about EastEnders, and I will be really happy. <laughs> is, but is that a bit of a trick?
1: Are you doing that to deceive? You know, there's somebody I've out taken there that's been watching. I no it now because no one ever, talk, no one no, ever engaged no one. with
2: me on it. So now I've, uh, it doesn't say that I love it. But maybe I'll put it back on. And I'm
0: just amazed we've been too. Years into this podcast, and Simon's the first one to mention the word Brexit. I mean, I think we that's going. That's going. We're doing We're going down. we were going down well. uh, uh, But seriously, yeah, <laughs> we'll edit, we'll edit <laughs> that bit out. We don't. We don't want that. Will go down uh, in history. No, no. Seriously, kind of coming back onto just the social media just kind of tie that bit up a little bit. I think that also ties in to, d- to mental health bit as a, as a as an issue. It's something that oh, not an issue, a challenge that we're facing in the the sector. I think more broadly, or at least we're hearing more about it. And I'd just be interested in. Both of your opinions when it comes to people that are living with mental health today and what we improvements we need to make in the sector to make us more able to cope with those or help those people? Live better lives,
2: yeah. I mean, uh, Simon's more expert on this. But first of all, I would say we're all living with mental health, mm. uh, it's just that sometimes it's good and sometimes it's bad, bad in the way course. that we're all living with our physical health, and some days we've got a cold, and other days we're feeling on top of the world. I recently did my mental health first aid training. I was going to say days. that I woo remember woo that woo line from the like mental like health uh, first aid <laughs> training, I was thinking that I as can you can said uh, it. I can do that, do that plug <laughs> there. and. Actually, it did really help me think about um, mental health in the workplace, both both in terms of the kind of hard around, but mm. also how do you help people to manage their own well-being. Yes. And I think for me, social media is one category of ways that th- that people need to un- understand what works for them, and one person's one person's mental health ecstasy might be another person's mental health disaster. And I think we, we all need to, you know, giving people the space to understand what, take, what works for them and then take control of it and feel empowered to be able to prioritise what they need to prioritise in order to be well is... Yeah. Training. Training.
0: Mental fer- that could be first <laughs> aid training <laughs> for everybody sp- in the sector. It's certainly a, a, <clears throat> certainly a good start, right? Um, I
3: think the, the most important point is that we're talking about it, but that actually talking about it isn't enough. Yeah, we need to be really, really clear that there are deliberative and deliberate actions which we can take to improve people's um, well-being. And that can involve things like making sure that people don't have emails you know, for particular parts of the time or you yeah, know, the Mental Health Foundation has an um, email shut down at 7 o'clock in the evening and uh, through till 7 in the morning. We have a disclaimer on the bottom of our emails which says sending this because it's a time that suits us don't expect it to be replied to within your working hours you know we can ensure that people have got the right skills to be able to do their jobs we can ensure that we're having conversations about what capacity people need and and making sure that people are not struggling with their to-do list we closed for a week over the summer for a well-being week total shutdown is very different than people taking their annual leave there are all sorts of things which you can do in the third sector and actually the really interesting bit what we mustn't do is think because we believe we've got the right value set that we believe that we're supporting people's well-being and that we're supporting their mental health we saw from the Aquivo report around bullying that yeah espousing the values doesn't necessarily mean that people are not having lived experiences which are bad for their well-being and and actually if you look at the corporate sector and the public sector they may well be investing more time, more energy, more resource into this, because of recognizing um, the importance of, of investing in well-being. And of course, when resources are tight, often it's training budgets, well-being, budget, pastoral care, which, which doesn't get the resource. But actually that isn't the right way to be thinking about it, because without individual and collective well-being in the organizations and sectors, then we're in danger of not supporting staff to be able to do um, their jobs. Very specifically on digital. I do think that one of the things that we can all do is just turn off all notifications for everything, from email to personal email to WhatsApp to text message, and let the only thing that buzzes on your phone be when it rings, Mm. which you'll notice doesn't happen very often because everything else is buzzing, because our brain responds every single time it beeps or pings or whatever it does, Mm. and it doesn't know it's just a ping from a text message. You know, It's it's our old-fashioned bit of the brain that can't rationalise that, and our brains need to to rest so you know really thinking about how do you encourage people to understand enough about their brains to be able to do some of the core things eat so like eat well sleep well exercise yeah you know, well not drink not self-medicate on alcohol mm. you know, more than possible not have everything pinging all the time there are some, Talk. some gonna, there are some things <laughs> which which we can which we can do for ourselves now clearly if you have a mental illness those things might not be the answer but there are all things that we can do to keep ourselves well mm. yeah and and to help ourselves be better
0: being with your peers around other ceos around not-for-profits as well do you think this is do you think we're at, we're reaching that tipping point i mean the mental health awareness is becoming more so i'm sure you're seeing that in, in your role but speaking to other ceos of of, of of other charities both large and small do you think this is certainly on their agenda now or do you think we've still got some way to go in terms of educating more of the ceos
2: i think it's on the agenda um whether or not that means the kind of change that simon was talking about is how ha- you know i think it's happening slowly in the way that a lot of change does and i think talking about it is positive i had a when in my last role i was off sick with stress being able to it was interesting because communicating that as ceo to the rest of the organization like people are really nice but people don't really know how to, it's really hard for people still to know how to talk about it with people and I think if someone's off with a long, you know, a long-term physical illness, there's a, there's a protocol around you send a bunch of flowers and you write a card and I think people don't necessarily know how to do that with colleagues who are experiencing poor mental health and so there's a kind of, I think there's a big culture change around how do we get parity between physical and mental health and I think we're a long way away from that but there is, you know, and organizations like Simons are helping us to move in that direction. So Okay. Yeah, so if there's
1: it. anyone listening to this um who can maybe recognise other than the fact they've listened to thirty seven episodes of, of Kenneth and I waffling on, that they maybe social media is contributing to a to a poor situation that they're in.
2: Uh would you have any advice for those guys out there listening now? I mean, I'm no expert, but if it's consider if it's contributing to a poor situation, turn it off <laughs> for a while and and uh
3: and certainly, if anybody is listening and they are using social media because they feel as though they have to use social media, then definitely do not feel like you have to use social media you know to be successful to be connected to be yeah. uh, to be in valued but yeah that sort of sense of uh, how do we you know how do we have the right conversations with the right people to help ourselves because for some people it won't be as easy as turning it off but don't sit there thinking this is. Hurting me, and I don't know what to do about it. Yeah, that, that's the most mm-hmm. important bit. Just having that conversation and working things through is really, really important.
0: And there's organisations out there as well. I think if you know the yeah. Samaritans and others that yeah. people have problems and want to want to talk yeah. to. I think you're sure yeah. we time post there. So we realized we we're quite close on time. We've got quite obviously deep and serious during this conversation, mm. which we'd like to on the Do More Good podcast, add a little bit of a sprinkle of light and Go on. before we let you, you let you shoot off. You might have seen them if you actually looked at the questions because they were on the third page. But Rosie, I'll start with you. You can have the first one. <laughs> this is r- quite ironic. If you could place an ad across Facebook for one day across the entire world, what would it say and why?
2: Well, I, th- I did read this and I thought about it. And I was trying to think of something inspi- like inspiring them and they all just sounded really naff. So in the end, I decided on the quote from the David Barry song, put on your red shoes and dance the blues. Yeah. Because if all else fails, like do that. Yeah, you're going <laughs> to feel happy. Exactly. <laughs> Love it.
0: Nice. Love it.
3: You get the second question,
1: uh, which is, uh, what is the one piece of advice that you have been given throughout your career that sticks with you?
3: Never appoint somebody because you like their hair. <laughs> I did it once. It didn't end well. What did the hair look like? You must it have was us. amazing. i not <laughs> going to say just in case the person is listening.
1: So it didn't end well because they changed their haircut, or because it didn't turn out to be as good as their their hair.
0: The hair was <laughs> uh, their hair was um, uh, an asset. Yeah. <laughs> I think this last question then would like to to go to both of you. So, Rosie, to you first. So, we're a podcast that tries to focus on doing more good, which is a title that we came up with somewhere randomly. But is there one person that sticks in your mind that's done something great for others, that's, that's been inspiring? Maybe they've just done some fundraising. Maybe they've just helped a person on the street. Who's that one person, that one story that sticks in your mind now? I
2: mean... We're lucky to work in a sector where we meet these people every day and yes. there's loads of them. The one person who comes to my mind is a young man called Francis Augusto, who I first met when I was at London Youth, and we were running a program for young people kind of involved in and around gang behaviour. And he we started working with him and he is now he now runs his own business as a social photographer. So he documents people's stories whether that's someone who's street homeless or he works with he works with charities to kind of photograph their beneficiaries in a way that really tells their stories and he's an absolutely brilliant he's probably not even that young now i was going to (laughs) say young man but he's probably nearing 30 Um, but he's absolutely fabulous young uh, (laughs) uh, francis augusto yeah if if any charities who are listening to this need a photographer he's absolutely outstanding Mm. and his journey means that he really understands the sector that we're in and is a real kind of leader of his social generation great one
0: that's really nice
1: simon (laughs) anyone stand out for you
3: yeah i mean again as rosie said there are so many and really lucky but i think the person who i would just say is ruth hunt who has just stepped down as chief exec of stonewall um Mm. stonewall um has changed the lives of LGBT people in this country and Ruth was there for 14 years of her life and um, amazing so I'm big up uh, Ruth and everything that she did uh, for Stonewall and the LGBT folk including myself in this country over the last 14 years 14
1: years, what a a job she's
0: done Brilliant, Um, well look I mean we can wrap it up there, is there anything, any projects or anything that you guys, any messages that you wanted to to, to leave out, where where can people find you if they want to get in touch or, or anything final words?
2: I'll be at the House of St. Barnabas from the foreseeable future. Come and check us out. Cool. So, yeah.
3: Brilliant. And for me, also fairly recently did the MHFA training once I've been appointed as chief exec. And whether it's MHFA training or mental health training, just get as aware as you can around mental health. Because once we start reflecting and thinking and becoming much more literate about it, the world will be a better place for living, for working, for
0: playing, for drinking, for socializing, for coming to houses and Barnabas. <laughs> what a way to end! Lovely end. That is brilliant. I would yeah. completely agree with that. Well, look, thank you both so much for your time. We really thank do you. appreciate it. It's been great to talk to you, and uh, yeah, we'll 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 see you soon. Nice one. Cheers. Thank, thank you. Cheers, thank you. thank you. So, James just wrapped up another fantastic episode. If I don't say so myself, how did you find it? So right, wasn't it? <laughs> If anyone wants to kind of follow up and actually enjoy this thing where can they find us
1: well we're on twitter kenneth at do more good pod instagram at do more good pod have we
0: gone multi-channel and even gone to youtube we have but you can find all those videos on the website do more and if you want to contact us by email please use contact at do